0: Resolute Square.
1: There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list, which was rather expensive and continually being updated. Democrats want Republicans dead.
0: Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortion. On
1: January 6th, of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. No, it's not right wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real.
0: <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Our guest today on The Enemies List is Ron Philipkowski. You have followed and seen Ron on Twitter and other social media platforms because he is one of the great chroniclers with a fantastic eye for the craziness, the excesses, the weirdnesses, the mistakes, the corruption, the cruelty, and everything else of the MAGA right. And Ron, thank you so much for joining us on The Enemies List today. And uh, I here. wanted to just catch up a little bit. Sure. See what you're covering. See what stories you're following right now. And talk a little bit about where you see the road ahead. Well, right now is of course the Hunter Biden,
1: you know James Comer, Jim Jordan fiasco with Devin Archer and all of that. I mean, Congress. This is a slow, slow news week with Congress and recent an
0: imaginary witness with nothing to say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) yeah, they've already shifted their narrative on that story already today. They've come up with a new, a new thing that they're. I mean,
0: one moment it was. He's the most important witness. Ever, effort. The DOJ right. is trying to throw him in prison so he can't testify. And today it's suddenly like Devin Archer, who? What? What are you talking about?
1: Yeah. The, the mean, new spin is it doesn't really matter that they never discussed business. It just matters that he was able to get him on the phone. The, it's the access, you know.
0: I don't know. Call me crazy. But if I call my dad, he's probably going to pick up.
1: <laughs> I think that's an unusual thing for the Trump the Trump family, that a father would answer their son's calls. That's that's crazy talk.
0: What is what 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 lavish corruption is this? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I do think they have been trying. They've been straining and struggling with this alleged Biden corruption investigation for the better part of, you know, seven months now. Do you see them actually like any sign they're going to change course on this or or grow some shame or. Figure out it's just not working.
1: Well, here's what I can tell you: the activists and the influencer class and all that—they're getting pretty pissed off. They're they're getting very frustrated because they're not delivering the goods. You know, they made all these big promises, and and Comer went on a meteor tour last year on all the pod right wing podcasts, promising them, you know, if if we take the house, I'm going to be oversight chair and I'm going to take down Biden. His mouth wrote a lot of checks that aren't being cast right now,
0: <laughs> that, the, that the facts can't cast.
1: Yeah. And you got people like Steve Bannon who have already turned on him and, you know, already said, you know, is starting to badmouth him and others. So, yeah, I, I think I think a lot of the people in the on the right wing are, are getting pretty upset.
0: I think that's probably right, because, I mean, look, in, in politics, you famously want to under promise and over deliver. It's hard to fulfill a campaign promise when it was based on fiction and a completely made up scandal because they're going to lose that leg of their, I think, of their political uh, stool very, very soon now. I, I, I think even Kevin is realizing and I know <clears throat> actually was in communication with a Republican pollster two days ago who said, yeah, it's really not great. He's got
1: the problem of managing the crazies who are all pushing for impeachment, you know, to start. So he's trying to placate yeah. them at the same time. I think he knows If they spend the next year on on a ridiculous impeachment, that could cost him the house could cost him his speakership. So
0: Mm -hmm. this is the bet he made for himself. I think that's one of the the centerpieces of all this is that without Kevin McCarthy's permission and and encouragement and latitude, none of these things would be going on. Right. They would be talking about some other issues. They'd be talking about some other aspects of what's going on. So to switch gears for just a minute, as a fellow Florida man. It seems like the, the great contest in the sky that we were going to that we were all promised of Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. Ron seems to be sort of fizzling out. But but you still you still have to admit the guy provides some incredibly good, weird video. <laughs> it's funny, you know, whenever
1: I watch a DeSantis press conference, I have to watch it twice. I watch it the first time for the substance of what he's saying. And I'll might clip some of that. But then I go back and just watch the mannerisms the second time. Right. I watch his hands. I watch his mouth, his nose, his hair, you know, because he really has some very strange mannerisms about him. And so sometimes I'll just put out a clip just on that. And <laughs> and oddly enough, well, n- probably not oddly enough, those clips are often more successful, you know, on social media mm-hmm. than the substance people love when you, <laughs> you pick know, on I'm, him.
0: You know, it's the thing, though. It's like anytime you got a real bully, Anytime you got somebody who's a real bully to other people who punches down, when they give you the opportunity to punch them, people really like that. Yeah. People really find that. I put out an ad last week um, from our team uh, over at Lincoln that was called Ron DeSantis's Slave Trade, Slave slave Trade Trade School. And uh, uh, his people, you know, I have a couple connections to that world. They're like, that's so unfair. That's so unfair. I'm like, Dude, your guy's defending slavery. Trust me, you're going to get hit in the face when you're defending slavery. I mean, and but, and the letter that
1: he put out last night was just so ridiculous. Like, you know, he challenging Kamala Harris and Randy Weingarten to come to Tallahassee and debate him about slavery. I
0: mean, what is that? Live Where in does Tallahassee, that get it? Trust me, they don't want to come here. <laughs> no, nobody wants to
1: go to Tallahassee in the summer. No, I mean. God, no. <laughs> but, you know, I don't understand how that. How does that help him number 1 to keep that issue alive and to and to keep bringing it up? You should want it to go away. And number 2, how does how does it benefit him to take on Kamala Harris right now? I mean I, I'm not getting that. You know,
0: either. I think we've reached that upper limit point where you realize that a campaign run by a guy who is not a great campaigner and his wife who is a newscaster when you're trying to scale that to a national campaign for president, you actually need trained professionals. You actually need people who who can do what they who can do the things that they they think they can do on their own, but can't. The guy is eminently punchable. But that fight seems like it's trailing off a little bit. It seems like Donald Trump's numbers are picking up. Are you looking forward to legal palooza with Trump? I mean, he's got to be producing some there's got to be some amazing things that are going to come out of these with his temper tantrums and his behavior. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that sort of makes me I'm looking forward to that, of course. But On the one hand, I'm so plugged into the Trump's world and his orbit. And on the other hand, I'm a criminal defense lawyer and a former federal prosecutor. So it's like the two worlds are intersecting for me with these Trump prosecutions, you know, my day job and my and the
0: rest of what I do. So,
1: yeah, that that part's very Uh, interesting.
0: So let's talk about that for a second, because I think that's a really that is a A truly unique perspective in a lot of ways, because if you were representing Donald Trump, you know, God forbid, all the things you would be zealously trying to defend him. But no matter what, he's the worst client in the universe. Right. I mean, it's it's like you'd want to fire the client because he will not shut his damn mouth. You know.
1: I get upset every time one of my clients in jail gets on the phone with his girlfriend, you know, because (laughs) because, you know, I don't know what's going to come out in that. And they do listen to those calls. And so the idea that Trump Trump is going on national television talking about his cases as a criminal defense lawyer, I just I'm just horrified, you know, just from that perspective. Like it is the but worst as an American you, you just like bring it on Donnie. keep talking well because I'm I'm picturing Jack Smith is going to be playing all these clips of all these sure. different stories and versions what what you want to do as a defense lawyer is you want to find out every all the evidence that the government has against you what are what do mm-hmm. they have first then we decide what our story is going to be what what defense are we going to go with after we've seen what they have the problem with Trump is. He's got out in front of discovery. He, he's already committed right. to several different defenses before he's even seen the evidence. It's it's the actual actual reverse of what you're supposed to do.
0: I presume a lot of this, um, the legal maneuvering that we're seeing, each one of these things is going to end up with Trump boiling over and saying more and more insanity, more and more just just reset the narrative of as these cases are closing in around him. It just it strikes me that he's his lack of discipline is legally and politically dangerous. You know what I'm most looking forward to, Rick, is when he gets the discovery on the January
1: 6th indictment, because what that's going to show him is how many people have testified against him from his own orbit. And that's so that ha- they, they got that. yesterday.
0: They body. got that on Tuesday, the 31st. I guess it was. Right. What's that? No, I'm I, th- I think they were given discovery. Oh, I'm talking about he hasn't
1: even been indicted for January. I'm talking about January 6th. Oh, for January 6th. Oh, yeah. Right. 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 That's the one where all these people from his administration and in con- from Congress have been brought in in front of the grand jury, you know. And right. So he doesn't exactly know what Mark Meadows has said to the grand jury yet. But he's going to find out when that discovery hits, that's going to be like a a bomb on his dropped on his head because it's going to show him all the people that have been close to him who have turned on him. And and I don't think we we know even the tip of the iceberg about that.
0: I think his sense of betrayal is always even if people say something mildly critical. He thinks of them as traitors and wants to burn them to the ground and and thinks that they're the worst human beings to ever walk the earth and and six people on them like crazy. But some of these people will have taken deals, right? Some of these people will have given testimony in exchange for immunity and things like that. Right. I mean, this can't
1: go well. I am absolutely convinced that Mark Meadows has completely sold out. Uh And because I mean, what the tip off with two things were the tip off to me, After Cassidy Hutchinson testified before the January 6th committee, Meadows went radio silent. He dropped dropped out. He didn't he didn't do another interview for like four months. So that told me right there, if he was going to step up for Trump, he would have gone on TV, gone on Fox and denied some of what she said. But he didn't because he knew that she had the goods on him. And if he contradicted her, he was going to get prosecuted. So he had to come clean at that once Cassidy flipped, that then flipped Meadows. And when when Trump finds (laughs) out what Meadows has said to the grand jury, he's going to lose his mind. He's going to come unglued. Yeah,
0: I think that's right. I think he's going to have a uh, I think he's going to have a very, very bad day when he finds out that Mark Meadows has turned over text messages, documents, phone records, all the all the goods, because. I, I can tell you, Meadows, just doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of money personally. He's he's a, he's, he's not poverty stricken, but he also can't go out and spend several million dollars defending himself against Jack Smith. It's, a, it's not going to happen.
1: And he doesn't um, strike me as the kind of guy who would go to prison to protect Donald Trump.
0: Oh, <laughs> I don't think the guy I don't think the guy would run to the store to get a pack of cigarettes for Donald Trump. I, he's not a strong individual. OK, he's he's not he's not a guy with like rock ribbed moral character, right? Not a stand up guy. So and we know he'll well, I think that, he'll
1: talk. I mean, he was the leaker king, right? So, right, he, he he'll talk. We
0: know that. <laughs> yeah, m- m- I, I can tell you from from direct knowledge, Mark was if not in the top five sources in the White House, in the top three for constantly trying to protect himself for constantly trying to uh, spin himself. To some reporters, I'm the source of stability. Without me, this would all fly apart, and (laughs) it would be nothing but chaos and mad dogs and cannibalism. And to other people, he was, I'm just – I hope the president isn't surrounded by those libtard cucks because I'm the one conservative left. I mean, it it just that he is a truly – Morally vacant individual, yeah, and, and has always been that guy. I mean, everybody knows him. He's always been that guy. So as Trump like starts to decompose and de- and decompensate on some of these things, the legal jeopardy rises, the political jeopardy rises. What do you see as? Because again, you are like a really careful observer of of the right and the MAGA movement and their and their sort of particular flavor of of idol worship and insanity and weirdness what do you see rising in their minds as trump gets under more and more legal pressure
1: yeah well i've kind of said like i i don't i don't before i don't think it's going to be like a finger coming out of the dike and the dam breaking it's more like the fraying of a carpet you know where Mm -hmm. little pieces get chipped away of the base at little by little i think you wrote this recently too uh something very similar that i read that i think you did in a thread and i agreed with that yeah it, it it you see, the the forty million dollars uh, to the lawyers. I saw a lot of diehard MAGA Trump supporters grumbling and griping about that. You know, the uh-huh. m- money for Melania's hairdo. You know, all all of these things is starting to wear on a lot of them for sure. The biggest right. problem is DeSantis hasn't presented a viable alternative yet for them to to flee to. But wh- yeah, what I'm hoping yeah, is. That some of them are lack
0: enthusiasm, stay home, don't vote. Who knows? I, that that I that I think is something. Well, I can I can tell you for a fact. We as we've said it, we think that that Trump's weirdness and legal trouble and, and all the chaos right now, in many ways, will lead to an expansion of the number of of Republicans who, while they don't want to say it publicly, while they don't want to come out and own it uh, officially. A lot of them are going to stay home. Yeah, they may not vote for Joe Biden, and at this point, I'm okay with that too. If they don't cast a vote for Trump and just stay home, or or don't, or only vote down the rest of the ballot, I'm okay with that too. Because I do think, weirdly, it continues to to. In, although, I, I, right up to the point where you mentioned about about the money, because I do think that's caused a reaction. He solidified the Republican base last year and this year the money's a bit of a problem but i think that that the dynamic of trump being as strong as he is right now still 50-50 in the polls with biden basically will make him more reckless once he has the nomination i think it'll make him more reckless more crazy isn't that what the base kind of wants from him don't they want that like transgressive screaming you know throw him out beat him up all the all the sort of trump classic from 16 and 20
1: well, and that's sort of the premise of my Twitter account, which is all of the stuff that they love, I believe, turns off swing voters. And so hundred. I want to put that out. I want I want to sh- like when I clip all the people at the Trump rallies doing their interviews saying why they love Trump. I want swing voters to hear that these people are full QAnon because it's sort of like shaming yeah. them. It's like, is this who you want to be with or are, are the, the these your party your team
0: you know you want to be associated with these people so right is and that that question is is something that I I still think and there, there's sort of there's sort of a dispute in like the never Trump Republican world of how do you talk about the Republican base now I am a, I'm cut from sterner timber than a lot of people a lot of people are like they're economically anxious. They, they're just misunderstood. They're middle class. No, I think a lot of them have, they understand exactly what they're doing. They understand exactly the kind of behavior they're embracing. Yep. Because the other day, and I think you ran the clip, that guy on Right Side Broadcasting, he's like, what about the cucks and the rhinos and the shills and the libtards? And guy's like, kill them, kill them all. And no one thought, I mean, they eventually kind of walked it back at the network level But no one in that crowd surrounding this reporter was like, hey, that's too much, dude. Whoa, easy now. No one seems to have a connection. That happens a lot. And it's not rare. So tell me about that. You see that a lot more than It it happens a lot.
1: And I'll tell you you a little story there, too, because Brian Glenn is the program director of Right Side Broadcasting, which is the network that did that interview. Uh, He's also Marjorie Taylor Greene's boyfriend. Uh, and uh,
0: that's right. That's right. He's God, so he's a program it, director. And sometimes.
1: Alvarez is a guy that they hired to take his spot because Brian got promoted to program director. So Alvarez is taking Brian's spot. Brian follows me on Twitter and I talk to him every week. I, I talk to Brian after every Trump rally. And really? yes, I do. And and so when that happened, I cli- <laughs> I clipped it and I posted that. it. Brian was right. backstage waiting to interview Trump because he does a little 10 minute interview of Trump when he arrives. Right, 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 right. right. So Brian saw my clip that I posted, saw that it was going viral and he Matthew was already done with his interviews. He was off air and Brian grabbed him and threw him back on air to issue his retraction.
0: (laughs) So, well, I mean, that idea that You've got somebody where, and I think I, I'm going to call bullshit on him for saying I couldn't hear what he was saying. Right. He got caught. No, he could. He hear got caught. He was standing a foot away from the guy. <laughs> he was on mic. He heard exactly what he said. Yeah. He got caught. But that's not uncommon in these rallies. It's and not in these Trump events. I mean, and, and I don't think that one was a particularly sort of perfect setup, perfect moment where he was kind of feeding him. He was kind of like feed, throwing red meat to the sky as he says that we should kill them all. Look,
1: all I mean, right, well, in 16, Trump had everybody turn around and jeer the press people in the press box, lock her up, hang Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. These are the same people, <laughs> you know, all the Q and crazies. They're all in that crowd. And and I think one thing I try and chronicle is like people get so hung up on fighting over Trump's rally crowd size, whether there's a lot of people. And I, and he's obsessed with it. So I like to poke him by sometimes. But what I try to argue is don't to Democrats is don't get caught up in his crowd size because it's almost all the same people.
0: You know, they it's like, yeah, it's kind of like this roving band (laughs) of weirdo mutants that follow him around the country all the time. (laughs) They're like, yes, we've got to drive 700
1: miles to the next Trump rally. It's it's very rare now when when someone will say this is my first Trump rally, you know, very rare. So why are you worried about if 10,000 people showed up? 6,000 of them are the same people every rally,
0: you know? It's fascinating. It's, it's, it's like a crusade where they're marching through the, mar- marching toward the holy land with Donald Trump. Um, so that tendency to violence and the sort of extremism, do you think it's becoming more prevalent? I mean, the way I'm listening to Trump speeches, and I've been a careful anthropologist of the guy for a long time. He certainly seems like there's more of the of the real authoritarian instinct creeping out in as, as the year goes on and, and oh, are you seeing more of that as well? Yeah definitely. there's a big difference between now and 2020
1: for sure and I right. think it's just the paranoia, the desperation the fact that he holed himself up in Marilago for like two years and almost never left Marilago right. or Bedminster he didn't go. To the country at all, he didn't go around the country whatsoever. No. So I think that that is all fostered, you know, this paranoid uh, thing, mm-hmm. and and he really views his followers as his shield between him and the justice
0: system. That that's his leverage sure. to intimidate. Well, when he said the other judges. day, if you do things to us, we're gonna f you up so bad. Right. You know, I mean, that that wasn't that's not because Donald Trump's going to go out and swing fists. Yeah, it's it's all that's part of expects... intimidating judges, intimidating prosecutors.
1: I mean, you think about Eileen Cannon. She's down there in Fort Pierce, which is probably like one federal judge, maybe in Fort Pierce, the satellite office. I mean, yep. and that's a that's a GOP county that he won by what? A dozen points or so. solidly. 62
0: percent or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So yeah, she's it, under it's, enormous it's pressure very...
1: when he makes statements yeah. like that.
0: One thing I tried to I've tried to keep in check with our friends, you know, on the on the left and then the Democratic Party is the this will be the case that sinks Trump. (laughs) This will be the thing that takes because, believe me, I used to think that same thing back in 2016 and 17. Oh, well, you can't call John McCain's not a war hero. That'll take him out. Grab him by the you-know-what. That'll take yep. him out. I, I'm concerned a lot of people who are excited about the legal cases are already picking out curtains in the White House for the second term when there's a very heavy race ahead of us. There's a very, very difficult political campaign ahead of us, right? This is not just because he's in trouble has not stopped him from winning before. Well, and I don't
1: know about you, but I, I talk to you know moderate voters a lot, and swing voters sure. and, and independents you know, all, all the time. And I hear the same thing every time, which is, Joe Biden's age, you know, uh, Joe Biden's age, cognitive Uh decline, all of that. I mean, you just hear it over and over again that Democrats are somewhat in denial, I think, about how much that uh, opinion holds with the with those voters. So what I hear from them all the time is I hate Donald Trump, but Joe Biden's old and senile. So I think Uh I would feel a lot more confident if we weren't running an 82 year old incumbent with a 40 percent approval rating.
0: And here we are, you know. I mean, that and that, but that—that that is the thing—is, you know, I I talk to a lot of Democratic donors and activists. I hear this a lot. It's like, why can't we have somebody different? Why can't we have Gavin? Why can't we have, you know, Gretchen? Why can't? And the answer is because he can't. He's the president. Yep. It's how parties. <laughs> it's work. up to him, right? It's if he wants to go, he'll That's go. That's it. But he ain't didn't didn't want to go. And weirdly, I think just as in twenty twenty. The one candidate in the Democratic field that Joe Biden uh, or that Donald Trump couldn't beat was Joe Biden. Right. I mean, when we started the Lincoln Project, it's funny. We look back on it, uh, talking about it the other day. When we started the Lincoln Project in December of 19, Bernie Sanders was way out ahead of the field. Yeah. Followed by Elizabeth Warren. And Joe Biden was in fifth on the day we started the Lincoln Project. I I will say and we didn't know we'd end up where we're at. But when you get down to it, he really turned out to be the one guy who could really post up against Trump in the right tone and manner and style. I still happen to think that's true. I think changing courses now would be politically, I mean, a risk of global proportions. I can tell you, like, in 16,
1: I mm-hmm. voted none of the above in the presidential race because mm-hmm. if Hillary Clinton was the alternative. And and I I, I truly feel and I think And I heard her in an interview on Howard Stern say this after the campaign. She did not make any effort to reach out to people like you and me, to people like like expat Republicans or never Trump. Right. She made she felt she could win without us. And it didn't happen. And so I think. If if the Democratic Party had nominated Bernie Sanders, a lot of us would be in that same boat. Uh, Trump
0: would have won 44 Trump would have won 44 states.
1: Right. So the fact that Joe Biden was the nominee made it a lot easier for me to walk away sure. from the Republican Party. And I think a lot of other, you know, never Trumpers. So.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think I think the way that Biden has focused on the economy and he doesn't come across as ideologically hot. And progressives are criticizing for not being progressive enough. I think he's sort of found the sweet spot right now in a lot of ways. And look, everybody says, oh, his numbers are so low. Folks, 40 is the new 60 in politics. We are so divided that a 40% approval rating for a president is really good. <laughs> it's really good. Well, you know, um, the, we, the I was,
1: economy, I, th- I think the economy is going to be humming. You know, I mean, the stock yeah, market yeah. is going way up.
0: Now, inflation is coming that down. Through, Unemployment
1: is yeah. fantastic,
0: you know. Have you noticed that like that percolating through with any of these Republican base voters, like, or is it still like that Fox News bubble, like, inflation is down, why it's bad for Joe Biden? Yeah, yeah. It, it's amazing. Like all the
1: economic indicators are positive right now, except for you know interest right. rates, but that's being done for a reason. But everything else yeah. is positive. But yes, you you never hear any of that on Fox or Newsmax. You would never hear how the you know, all you ever hear when, he, when the unemployment rate is low, they say, well, they're just all coming back in the workforce from COVID. Well, you know, how long does that argument hold water? Right. It's been a couple of <laughs> years now.
0: It's been two years yeah. now. <laughs> yeah.
1: These are new jobs but, that are being created. I, I think once the administration, which is building this, you know, the campaign is building this massive war right. chest that they don't have to spend right now. Unlike Correct. Trump, once they unleash that and, and the ground game, which. I think the Democrats ground game is amazing. That, that's one thing that's really open, open my eyes. You know, team now that I'm a Democrat it's, is
0: how good their ground game is. It's something they finally figured out. They finally figured out the, the the criticality of it. And I hope they've got it deploying into places where they really need it to be, because this will be an election again, of very small numbers. It's a closely divided country. So we're not going to have easy sweeping blowouts. And, and I think in places like Georgia, you know, we're not going to have Reverend Warnock on the ballot again, which is a big driver. We're not going to have Donald Trump again saying, don't vote. <laughs> don't vote the Senate runoff. <laughs> that was that you was know, nice. Our him. polling, our, our polling during that, we were like, damn, this is bad. It's not going to work. And then he comes out and goes, you shouldn't vote. And we were like, "We'll we'll just amplify that <laughs> or a Herschel Walker. I mean. <laughs> right jesus as you go forward and as we wrap up here and thank you so much for your time today you're going to be covering obviously a lot of the the legal challenges ahead the campaign as it unfolds what else what are the things are you looking for that we we we're not necessarily seeing in the same way that you would as somebody who's a real you know deeply wired in observer of of trump and maga and and the trump movement i
1: i think that uh the the republican base is going to be so distracted by the presidential race that i really think that democrats could take the house for sure and even mm. hold the senate which is going to be very difficult i mean there's so many tough races in the senate this time around very tough uh so many very all over tough. the place you know montana arizona you know you could go all around the map but i think that all the time and energy and money and resources that they're spending on the presidential race could really impact all of those races. So I'm actually really gearing up for a lot of these House and Senate races, and I'm looking forward to really engaging in those. And I think we have really good candidates, too, around the country in some of those key races.
0: I think there are some really good emergent candidates. I'm, I, I, in fact, I've got a show coming up in the next couple of weeks going through a lot of the a lot of the potential and likely candidates uh, coming up in in, in the twenty four cycle. Well, Ron Filipkowski, brother, thank you as always for joining us on the Enemies List and for your insights into where Trump's head is and where the head of the MAGA world is. And uh, ha- we look forward to having you back again as we uh, as we go roll on into the chaos of the twenty twenty four campaign. Thanks for thanks again. Me. Today on the Enemies List is a name you might or might not be familiar with. Her name is Christina Pushaw. Christina Pushaw is the center of the weird alt right, white mat, bleeding, beating, throbbing heart of pure gristle that is the Ron DeSantis campaign. Now, Christina Pushaw loves to drag people on social media. She's got a whole little bot army and she's got a bunch of scam fluencers and influencers and people around her that all want to be working in the DeSantis White House under Christina Pushaw, communications director. Well, Semaphore on Tuesday, the 31st revealed that the laboratory inside of DeSantis World, the rapid response shop inside Ron DeSantis World, they revealed screen caps of signal messages with Pushaw talking about how they were going to push out both this egregious anti-LGBT video they put out and this white nationalist video that Nate Hockman produced. And it's it's no secret what she is and what she does. She calls anyone who disagrees with Ron DeSantis a pedophile and a groomer. You've heard this before. She's created the strategy of the very online, very social media meme forward DeSantis campaign. And here's why she's on the enemies list. Because this is a person who is acting from a place of deep, deep hostility to America including any American who's not exactly on her brand of white nat, And if she wants to challenge me that she's a white nationalist, let's do it. Come on, Christina. Any old time, you want to go at it. Because the things your campaign that is producing, the things you're doing, the things you're playing with, are all part of a very dark trend and tendency inside the MAGA Republican movement. You know exactly why you hired Nate Hawkman and Will Chamberlain and the rest of these goons. You know exactly why you did it. Because you are trying to win this race by turning out and turning up the white gnats and the alt writers and the three percenters and the oath keepers and the proud boys and the boogaloos and the rest of the flotsam and jetsam it's why your guy and you have driven a media strategy where you've talked about the imaginary threat of drag queens five thousand times and somehow you're dead silent or at least you allied over it with a sort of glance behind you when Nazis protest in front of synagogues in Florida, when the League of the South and the white nationalists are growing in the state faster than anywhere else in the country, when up to half of the employees of the Florida prison system have identif- been identified as people who are in some way connected to white nationalist movements. So you're silent on those things. But we know who you are, Christina. And we know that the reason he's dug in on the slavery stuff is you. And that's why you are on the enemy's list. <laughs>